when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. I have back with us today Dave Maxfield from South Carolina, not California, which I continually think you're from California, but South Carolina. You got that big um, Murdoch trial that I'm kind of following over there. That's when I think of South Carolina, I think of that. But welcome to uh, the podcast. Yeah, it's, it's great that uh, that's put us on the map. You know, we've had so many, you know, things to... Uh, recommend us and uh I, I i appreciate the california shout out you know I, maybe i just have that california vibe i hope so i'm trying to cultivate <laughs> it you definitely got me to chill out a little bit over the past few years i love and, uh, that yeah and the other thing like i feel like i should say is like you know i have this this you know work shirt on and this dire background and like a uh with the bricks behind me it looks like i like it's a video called like angola state prison you know where you accept <laughs> collect call against your better judgment but uh yeah well you know i know and that's what it's funny because that kind of connects because every time i tell people that i work with lawyers they all think it's you know the criminal cases and you know all the intrigue and and whatnot so you know it's kind of kind of on brand not really but but there we are okay so we're gonna bring dave back um later this year to talk about his book the lean law firm but Dave asked me to speak to his class, which I did, I think last year. And then this year, for some reason, it was like at four in the morning. No, it wasn't at four in the morning, but it (laughs) felt like it was. And so I was like, no, I cannot do that my time, but let's do a podcast. So that's why we're here talking about um, what we might want baby lawyers to be thinking about. So tell us a little bit about kind of how this podcast came about and what what you're doing over there in South Carolina and in the college realm. Of course. Well, I, I teach, uh, they asked me a few years ago, I, uh, my area of practice is consumer protection law. So for four or five years, I've been teaching as an adjunct professor at the University of South Carolina School of Law and teaching consumer protection law. And then a few years ago, and I think in 2018, um, I wrote a book with a friend of mine named Larry Port, who's a software guy called The Lean Law Firm. And then what that book really was about was like taking principles like from the Toyota production system and other sort and agile, which software uh, developers use and putting that into practice in a law firm to make the law firm more profitable, more efficient, and hopefully less stressful. So um, they were kind enough a couple of years ago to say, hey, maybe, you know, would you like to teach this to second and third years? And I said, sure. So I did that. And I've been doing that a couple of years. And and last year, you know, every year it kind of iterates and gets a little different and a little, maybe a little weirder, but a little better. (laughs) <laughs> and um, we started talking about like neuroscience and persuasion and things like that last year. And I, persuasion's maybe not going to be the right word, and, and we can talk about that. But you know, I had a old uh, my old law partner that I practiced with for 17 years was a guy named Gene Trotter, who was a fantastic guy, kind of an Obi Wan figure for me. And he used mm. to say. And I'm going to swear because it's your podcast. Yeah, go for it. I mean, no holds barred. But he used to say, you know, this is a pretty simple job. It's about like talking people into doing shit and um, (laughs) or sometimes out of doing shit if you're in the counseling space. But 
you know, and so that got me to thinking and a few years ago, looking at sort of neuroscience and you've been doing that a long time and some other people like uh, David Ball does that too. And so I got really interested in that and, and included a unit, even though it's not in the lean law firm about, well, how, how do you go about doing that? Cause that's part of what lawyers do at least. And so I thought last year, I'll bring Sari in to kind of talk to them about things. And the conversation just went there and other places too, because we were talking about goal setting, you know, personal goal setting for students and things. And as the only time I've ever had a guest on the class, I think I told you this, where you remember we lost the Zoom feed for a second? We did, the yeah. Class of like, yeah, for like 25 kids went, oh, you know, they, there's this audible gasp from the crowd when they were like hanging on Sari's every word because she, you kind of started you know, slow and you kind of built up and they were just enthralled. So I thought I got to get her back this year and uh, I don't want to make you wake up at 4 a.m. But so this is a, <laughs> this is a good, good option for us. So, so, so we're talking today about, well, you say what we're talking about, like what, what are, what do we want to make sure that we get and why would a, a seasoned lawyer want to be listening to today's podcast as well? Well, I mean, as a seasoned lawyer myself that, you know, was practicing a pretty long time before I started looking at what you were doing and then joining the crew later, um, there's a lot of things we have to unlearn sometimes, you know, and mm. some of those things I think come from law school. You know, we get this very fixed idea of, well, what do lawyers do and what does a lawyer act like and how should we sound like and what do we say, you know, and some of that comes from law school and probably TV too, but we got to unlearn a lot of those things when we go out in the world and talk to real people like jurors and things like right. that, and even judges sometimes. So I thought before people start learning and fixing in a lot of bad habits, maybe we could talk about what does, you know, how should we be talking to jurors? And and so much of your work is about communication and about, um, I don't want to say motivation or persuasion, because I think it's more about motivation probably than persuasion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I want to I talk think, about the distinction. Yeah, I think that's a big a, a big difference in my work and why people are are drawn to it because I think as lawyers, but particularly as trial lawyers, you're trained or you're told. See, that's the thing. You're not trained. You're told <laughs> you need to be very persuasive, and that's what it is that you are supposed to do. And yet, no one teaches you how to do that. And then it creates all this pressure on you to read all the books on persuasion and try to be charismatic. And that leads to all kinds of bad things, like trying to become or use the style of the attorneys that you admire. Now, I will say, for especially since we're talking primarily to our, our younger lawyers, our, our baby lawyers, those who are starting out, those who are even still in law school, that there is... a a place in your growth that you will mimic your mentors, that you will try on the things that you have seen. And that is absolutely normal. And it's oftentimes helpful because you don't know what else to do. So what you do is you just do what you see. And that's great learning for you if you use it to learn and not use it in replacement of who you really are in developing your own style. But going back to what we were talking about with the persuasion, I think it creates that type of pressure that if you do not know how to persuade, that you if you're not on top of all the neuroscience and, and all of the ways to use the gimmicks and, and the how to touch your client on the shoulder and how to <laughs> use the room and all the things, right? 
that uh, you're going to somehow just totally blow it in trial. And I think my work is all about cool, slow down. We're yeah. just talking about people here, right? Yeah. Just people. And not only that, but you guys have this huge, when I say you guys, I'm talking to plaintiffs because that's mm -hmm. who I uh, primarily work with and hope that your students become if they go to trial law. Um, but you guys have this huge advantage and the advantage is that you stand on the side of the right, which if you follow me for a while, you know, I say that all the time, but you, you literally hold people accountable for hurting others and not taking responsibility for it, which is one of the things that we've been trained as humans since we were little kids, right? Take responsibility mm -hmm. for the shit storm that you've created, right? So now <laughs> it's like you guys come in and you say, now we got to do that. So mm -hmm. that creates some cognitive dissonance for me as I was putting my work together. And, and I've been working over the years is, okay, if you guys stand on the side of the right, if this is something that humans have been trained since very early on that it's the right thing to do to take responsibility why do you need to persuade i mean mm -hmm. think about this when someone really tries to persuade you into doing something <laughs> immediately we're like okay wh what's going on here oh like, yeah like wait a minute what what's really happening we immediately right. think something's up it's almost creates like a wave inside of your body when you want to do the opposite of like whatever somebody asks you to do. And it's, it's almost, yeah, it's kind of visceral. And so, yeah, that, I think that's absolutely right. And I think also, like you say, we, um, we want to imitate people and that's okay. But I also think some of the things like I remember taking trial advocacy class and learning some useful things, but then learning a lot of things later, I'm like, why did they tell us that? That's a horrible idea to do that. And, um, I, I think it's not that it's based on any like science or human nature, but it's just tradition. And so there's like this yes. heavy weight of tradition that goes with this is like, well, this is what lawyers do and this is how they've always done it. And there must be some reason that they're telling me to do it this way. When in truth, they're maybe it's just because oh, that's what we always did, you know, and well, nobody knows that. Me. And, and uh, which is very similar, it's, it worked for that particular lawyer, right? right? So, I yes. mean, even when you're out of law school, now we have all of these different books and CLEs and things popping up that are not particularly focused on a method that has, you know, the science behind it, but it's based on somewhat what some, worked for someone. And then mm -hmm. it's created this whole method. Okay, everybody go do this thing that worked for this one person. Right. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't, it's not supported at all the thing. I mean, I, I've always said, you know, you can watch Jerry Spence. And one of the best things is watching a Jerry Spence Wadir. But one mm -hmm. of the worst things is watching someone <laughs> attempt a Jerry right. Spence Wadir. Because yeah. it's just, it's, it's crazy. I mean, one of the reasons that Jerry Spence was so great or is so great, I should say, not gone, um, mm -hmm. is because he was really good at being Jerry Spence. And that's right. what worked for him. And yeah. yet we tend to be in the cult of personality. And I mean, like the new Jerry Spence is like Nick Rowley, right? And oh, okay, mm -hmm. well, then I'm going to go and I'm going to imitate him. There's not, mm -hmm. it's not to say that Jerry or, or Nick doesn't have some really great things to teach, but it's mm -hmm. when we become convinced they have the secret that right. we get into trouble. Absolutely. And, and two things I think about that. One of them is like these things that we do that we think, well, they did this and they won. So they won because they did this. They might have had success despite the fact that they were doing those things. So 
or like you say, because it works for them, but it might not work for you. And I think, you know, the first thing I think Jerry Spence would say, or Nick would say, would be, you know, and they're very different from each other. You know, they have mm -hmm. some similar characteristics, but they'd be like, and Jerry Spence in his book says, you figure out who you are and you be that mm -hmm. person, you know, and that's, absolutely. and it takes a lot of, um, you know, it takes some faith to do that, you know, because he's really like putting the real you out there, but to connect to human beings, you know, other human beings, that's kind of what I think that's what, <laughs> if there's a secret sauce, maybe that's it. I was just going to say, that's it right there. I mean, we we see Nick in, in trial. We see Jerry in trial. And we're like, oh my God, look at that thing he did. And then mm -hmm. we go try the thing and it fails spectacularly. And then we go on the mm -hmm. endless search for the thing. When what it really is, is that Jerry is just being super authentic and really communicating with the jury. And so is Nick. And that mm -hmm. everybody has to find their way of doing that. It's the confidence. It's the ownership of the courtroom. It's being mm -hmm. comfortable in your own skin. Those are the things that translate to a jury. Because we have to understand that a jury is there and they don't want to be there, right? They're hostages, wrote a whole damn book on it. And yeah. so they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. They don't want to do it. So they're looking for somebody to kind of get them out of this mess. Now, if you're standing up there and you're nervous and you're trying on a gimmick and you're just trying to persuade and you, right, you're, you're not getting it. You're not getting, these are people who are scared, you know, more than they do. So mm -hmm. like get in there and just own the shit out of that, whatever <laughs> that looks like on you, not mm -hmm. trying to be someone else. But this goes back to your, your original thought of, you know, the persuasion versus motivation, mm -hmm. which we talk a lot about in the H2H world, which is that said, <laughs> right? We don't need to persuade because mm -hmm. we know that you're on the side of the right. The easiest thing for humans to do is to do nothing right? Is to leave things as they are. And so what makes your job as plaintiff attorney so difficult is that you have to get jurors to do something when mm -hmm. the easiest thing is to just leave things as they are. So yeah. that is where you do need to be really well versed in how to motivate people. But I think that's a very different, even though it may have some, some characteristics of persuasion, I think it's a whole different energy. Would you agree? Right. I do agree. And I think, and let me mention before we go too far, because we're throwing acronyms like H2H out there. Sorry, wrote a book that's a fantastic book called Hostage for the Wank. This is for my class. Everybody in the podcast knows this Hostage <laughs> to Hero. Uh, that's exactly that premise. It's the people who are, you know, being called upon by society to be the decision makers in a jury trial don't really want to, maybe they got other stuff they want to do and they don't want to be there. And they don't want, especially in a, a case where there's some big stakes, the weight of that decision-making on them and what, you know, and so, um, you know, think of what people are called on to do, you know, decide if this person is guilty of murder and things like that. There's some big things that, that regular people have to do and it's stressful and people don't like it. So sorry, I wrote a book called from hostage to hero that in a state like South Carolina, which has like really very, very limited voir dire and really almost no attorney conducted voir dire is still incredibly valuable because it's really about, you know, exactly that. How do we deal with other humans throughout all stages of the trial? And how do we how do we talk to them like humans and 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 make our case? And I do want to make a disclaimer too. We're, we talk a lot about the your audience is plaintiff's lawyers. I'm a plaintiff's lawyer. Some of our class is going to be, but some of them are going to do all kinds of, you know, different things. Like you were going to be a sure. concert pianist at one point. Remember that? <laughs> right, so, right. Um, 
you know, you guys might in the, my class who I'm talking to, you all might do all kinds of things and you might be on any side of things, but it's still um, being a human being, regardless of what you're doing is always what comes first and dealing with other human beings. So we talk a lot about, here's some things not to do. Don't try to be somebody else, but like, what are some things that, you know, since we can learn right from square one, what would be some things you would say are the right things to do that are kind of universal to to uh, human motivation? Well, I think what you have to understand about humans and brain science and all the things is that there's one person in a juror's life, or we could just say in a person's life that can talk them into anything, that can get them to do anything, that they believe over everybody else. And that person is them, right? <laughs> it's yeah. us. Right. And, so, and we know like cognitive bias, for example, or, um, or, or, you know, when you're in the, the beginning of trial, right, we are, we, we know that people make up their minds by the end of opening statement. And then they use the rest of the, of the trial to just confirm how smart they are. Right. So we all do that with everything, yeah. right. We go, this is how it is. And then we take in more information not to go, Oh, maybe I'm wrong, but to go see, and we throw out the ones that we don't think fit our narrative. And yeah. so, so many people over the years, this is such a great example of the difference between persuasion and motivation have tried to like gain the system and be like, okay, well, but I can persuade them out of that. Or I, if I'm, yeah. if I'm really persuasive, I can get them to change their mind. And the way that H2H works is instead of trying to go against the grain is to work with the brain science and mm -hmm. recognize that they are going to convince themselves. So why don't we make trial about them? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's all about the jury because isn't that what trial's about it's about the jury it's a, it's about the world we all want to live in i mean y'all get so myopic in your view of what you, it is you're doing it's like well i'm doing this to pay my bills or okay bigger than i'm doing it for my client but what you're really right. doing is changing the world i mean i really believe that about trial lawyers that's why i have such a big fucking crush on y'all and and <laughs> so when you're doing that right? It really is about the jury. It's about the world they want to live in. And so the easiest way to motivate anyone to do anything is to show them how they can live a better life, how they can live a better world, how they can be part of changing it. And part of that motivation is yes, making it about them, but also you got to get, get damn excited about it, right? Mm -hmm. You got to be so excited about this world that you're creating, this thing that you are fixing, this mistake that you are writing, that the jurors can't help but get engaged in it. I mean, talk about when I was there talking to your, your students and you know everything cut off and they had that audible gas. It was because I'm like excited about what I'm talking about. And yeah. so when people, I always ask when I'm working with speakers, for example, I say, first question before we even get into what you're going to talk about, what do you want the audience to feel? And they, mm -hmm. they kind of taken back. And I said, because whatever you want them to feel, you have to be feeling that. So if you want them to be excited and motivated to take action, you got to get excited and motivated to take, yeah. to want them to take that action. You want them angry. You got to be angry, right? So it's, it really comes down to falling in love with your, your case and this, this new world that we're creating. I'm doing it through trial, helping trial lawyers. Other people mm -hmm. are doing it other ways, but I think it's, that's the motivation is that this has got to be exciting to you and you've got to make it about your listener. That's the, that's the key for any any kind of speech or presentation, it always has to be about the audience. That's why so many speeches are shit, especially legal <laughs> ones, right? Because people just stand up there and they either do one of two things. 
there it's war stories in the legal world. Mm -hmm. Well, here's yes. about my last trial, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Right. Or it's just disseminating information. Like here's just this information that I could look up in a book or Google, but now it's coming out of your mouth. I remember I was working with this, um, a lawyer on a CLE and he's like, I'm doing the CLE on Medicare. And I was like, oh, that sounds super exciting. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, they asked me to do it. And I said, okay, so what are you going to tell them? And he's all the things. And I said, where could they find that somewhere else without it coming out of your mouth? He's like, sure. There's all these things, you know, same thing mm -hmm. I'm sure on consumer law, right? There's places yeah. where they can find the information. So I'm like, well, oh, then why do you need to do this? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Why are you? And he's like, because you asked me to, I'm like, that's a shit reason <laughs> right there. So what are you going to add to the material? You know, what are you going to say? Well, okay, here's the law. Here's the consumer law using your, but here's where the pitfalls are. Here's where a lot of people go wrong, or here's how you can right. use it to your advantage, or here's how you can be strategic. So it, it really is about getting excited about your content, offering something new, but always, always, always making it about the listener. Always. Right. And I, and I, I love that. And I, what I want to do actually you what you said just reminded me of something else that you've said before so i want to jump into that but there's like i want to say one thing and then i'm going to get you to say two things okay <laughs> so the one thing i want to say is like you're going to think guys when you get out into the world and you're a lawyer you're going to write down all this stuff on your pad and you're going to go up in motions argument or whatever you're getting ready to do and you're going to be like I got to memorize this stuff. I got to get through all of this stuff. I got to say everything in my the order that I put it in, that I wrote it on my computer. And one of the things that Sari has taught me that is transformational in a lot of ways is no, you don't. You know, don't feel like you got to follow a script. You're going to be much more authentic, unscripted. Know your case. Um, it's fine to have some notes, you know, if you need that, but don't feel like you got to go. I mean, you know it. So just let, you know, let the universe work through you because you will, your greatest fear as a lawyer is you're going to get up there and go, uh, 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 I can't remember what I was going to say. And if that ever happens to you for a moment, just own it and move on. But you know that, you know what you want to say and it will happen through you and you won't even remember it. You know, it's just like, and you are more likely to go, uh, 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 if you're trying to memorize and yeah. then regurgitate what you memorize, you are more likely exactly. to do that. Most mm -hmm. attorneys that I sit down with and they're like, well, I want to write this whole thing and memorize it. And I'm like, yep. stop, tell me about your case right now. And they go, well, and they just start talking. And I'm like, there it is. Yeah. And so like you tell me, and, and and I have begun to do more and more when I'm prepping something that I'm going to have to go and talk to other people about or a judge about or a jury about, don't just sit here buried in my computer, typing away, typing an outline, get up on your feet when you're prepping, get a whiteboard or, uh, you know, uh, something like that in, in, in practice, what you're really there to do, you know, be yeah. on your feet because, you know, that's going to transform into when you actually have to show up in court and do your thing much better um, than some kind of a script. So don't feel like you got to follow a script or a recipe because you lose. That's all a great point though, because that's what you all do, right? You just like type yeah. it out and then you read it and you type it and you read it and going back to piano, right? Which is what my instrument is. That would be just like me sitting and looking at the music over and over again, the sheet music, just mm -hmm. looking at it. And there are some very famous um, composers or um, performers who do that, like when they're traveling after mm -hmm. they practice, they're looking at it, they're learning it, but they, and then they get to the piano, right? They never just stand out on stage. I've just looked at the music. They actually have to get the piano mm -hmm. under their fingers and play it. 
but somehow y'all think this is how it works, right? I, I read it, I type it, and then I stand up and I deliver it. And then it was shit. And I don't know why. Well, cause you yeah. never like practice getting in the muscle memory of delivering mm-hmm. it, even though it feels weird in your office or your dorm room or wherever you are, you've yeah. got to do that. You've got to do it. Absolutely. Well, that, and that was one thing. And the things I want you to talk about, I'm going to get, do the, give you the easy one first. And then the one we'll get in a little bit deeper and more sciencey sounding like you, you have a method that I thought was really good and has helped me as, as a teacher. Um, it's kind of like, a, well, here's, here's a very simple little template for, you know, we'll use a few templates, like how to teach anything. And one of them was kind of like, you want to hit that real quick? Because I find that like, that's a very simple little way of preparing something that's not scripted, but you are kind of following a pretty useful little formula, maybe. Yeah. So I've taught that a bunch of different ways. I think it was what you're called is transformational teaching is what I call it mm-hmm. is how to like deliver information in a way that actually creates a difference that makes the person learn it or want to do something with it or whatever it may be. And so this may not apply to court necessarily, but more thing it, it could, but mm-hmm. I normally tend to use this with people who are pr- pr- putting together CLEs and so on and so forth. Yeah. So you can put these three pieces together in a variety of ways, but the basic gist is you start with, here's the problem, mm-hmm. right? So here's the problem. Uh, lawyers are looking to get the gimmicks, the information, they go from CLE to CLE and they buy all the books and they continually come up empty. So the reason for that piece is because immediately my audience is like, oh my God, that's me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I have so many people who like email me and they're like, the reason I listen to you is because you have me nailed. Like, you know me. So <laughs> notice you have to know your audience to be able right. to do that. So anytime I get asked to speak somewhere, I'm like, tell me about the audience. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what are they facing? Right. So you say, here's the problem. And then you, t- you talk before you get to the solution. So I guess it's kind of like one part a under one is you talk about how they try to solve it. So maybe the problem actually is, right, we want to win trial. And the way they try to solve it is by going CLE to CLE or buying all the books. Mm-hmm. Then you say, here is the actual solution, right? It's not doing that. It's becoming authentic. It's trusting yourself. It's not believing, you know, believing the jury's not your enemy and that they do want to help you if you just know how to you know what to do. And then mm-hmm. you can give them like three pointers on how to actually go about trusting the jury or becoming authentic mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. But mm-hmm. the piece that I tend to find is that people just go with the solution. <laughs> and they're yeah, like, right. here's this new thing or yeah. just the problem. We have a problem, but yeah. it's when you put all them together, those three parts where there's the problem, there's how we normally try to solve it. And then here's the actual solution with some con- concrete things underneath. People yeah. can actually leave your seminar, your class, your CLE with feeling like you understand them, which makes mm-hmm. them, again, talking about motivation, right? If I feel like someone gets me, I am more likely to listen to what they have to say and then mm-hmm. implement the things that they're telling me to do. Is that and, what you're and, asking about? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, here's the problem, you know, which shows I understand, you know, what your particular issue is. I'm speaking to you. Uh, here's what we normally try to do to fix it, but that doesn't work. So what do we do instead? And, you know, you, we're big sometimes on rule of threes, which I'm a pretty big big believer in. And like three bullet points is like, you know, that's just like perfect. So if you can make things simpler rather than harder, you know, we, we, the other thing I think we do that I have to fight hard against myself to do is like to overbake the daylights out of everything. That's what new lawyers do. And I've gotten better and better and better. 
but better and better and better means less and less and less and simpler and simpler. And I got a long ways to go, but rule of threes is one of those things that it ain't going to hurt you if you follow that through your career. I don't think. Absolutely. Those three things we, again, going back to brain science, the brain remembers in threes, threes for some reason are better than even two or four. Mm -hmm. It's just like three is the magic number. Mm -hmm. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, that people come into some of the events we have in the, in the H2H playground and where we're practicing these things and they've totally been with me for a while and they've totally simplified it. And they come in and I go, isn't it just this? And they're like, damn it. (laughs) It's even simpler. It's even simpler than I thought. Because I think there, again, we come back to that fear, right? Mm -hmm. I think that fear starts in law school. You're spending a shit ton of money to get this degree. And let's Mm -hmm. say you're in your second or third year and you're like, I don't even know if I fucking want to do this anymore. This is like, (laughs) so not what it's like on television. Right. Right. But you have to do it because you've spent all this money. So now Mm -hmm. you're like depressed and broke. And then you, then you get out of that whole thing of this pressure to a new pressure, particularly if you become a trial lawyer where, okay, Mm -hmm. now I have to win because I put all this money in it. There's always this, this shadow I see following you and it starts in law school. And if I don't win, what does that say about me? And I'm exactly of some kind. I mean, that's something that, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose sometimes if you're doing hard stuff. And if you uh, didn't want to be a loser, you should have become a lawyer. That's what I always say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the deal though. You're going to, it is a deal. It is. I think it always makes us better when it happens. Like every, I have learned so much more from losing things than winning things. Um, because you, you know, you got a better idea of what, what didn't work maybe, or, um, what you can change and it sort of spurs some growth, but also when you win, you might've done something horrible and stupid and gotten away with it and you might not next time. So you don't learn that that way. So, right. Or um, you learn the wrong thing. You're like, Oh, I'm gonna do that again. And then you're like, I'm gonna oh, do that again. And I'm going to do that. Again. That was not something. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's all about experience is what my, my point is, is that whether you win or whether you lose, we're always looking to learn and improve. Yeah. I, I mean, but you know, the rant that I go on all the time is y'all are just complaining about losing. Right. And why? And that when's the last time you got up and tried your opening statement? When's the time last time you actually produced, you know, did a voir dire with, with mock jurors? Mm-hmm. None once. So it's like, you know, a basketball player coming in and saying, oh, I went to one practice and I lost and that fucking sucks. I mean, come on now. That That's the big thing I think that people don't realize and that you need to realize students, if you're going to become a trial lawyer, at least is that you got, this is a craft. Mm-hmm. This is something that you have to work on and, and then consistently put practice in and constantly be looking, just like you said, to simplify, to stand up, to do all of the things that you get better and better and better. But, and here's the big thing, once you get in trial to let all of that go, right? Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, one of the best players ever, practices his heart out. He totally wanted to win, but I can guarantee you right now when he was all actually in the game, he wasn't thinking about winning. He was thinking mm-hmm. about how he was shooting the ball, where he was doing the sportsy things. Cause you know, I'm not good with my sports, but you know what I mean? He was thinking about that, not, yeah. oh my God, I bet I better win. Cause then what are they going to think about me as a basketball player? Like all right. that went out. He's yeah. focused. And that's where I see a lot of you go wrong is because you're so worried about what, about what losing means. And this fear, it started all the way back in, in law school with this huge debt you have hanging over you. Then you go and now you have this trial debt. It's just, again, it's, it's, it's a a crushing, um, 
profession you all have been been it's chosen but but it's yeah. also amazing i'll tell you here's a secret too i think that like when you really it is very very possible to go and do a very good job and not lose and you and then lose still and you think mm -hmm. when that happens that it's going to be devastating and terrible and what you find out is when that happens is like you're all, it's not at all it's like i left it all on the field i did everything i possibly could i think i did a pretty good job you got to you know, like the samurai, you could do you, you don't uh, maybe not like the samurai, but you know, you got to let go of the result if you can. I mean, and this, that's pretty stock. Absolutely. In place. Let's, let's get sciencey for a second if we can. So mm -hmm. even though we have, both have like liberal arts degrees and uh, don't really know anything about science, we can act like <laughs> we do for a minute. Sure. Um, so actually the book uh, and, and the group, you know, we do talk about brain science some and sort of like, well, what, what do people do? And we're, Turns out we're pretty weird, but is there a couple of things we could you could talk about in terms of brain science that you found to be sort of particularly useful for for lawyers and and also just people who have to navigate the world generally? Yeah, I mean the number one thing I think that everybody needs to recognize about their brains is that y'all's brains are fucked. My brain is fucked. <laughs> That's a, and that everybody's brains fucked. That is the scientific term for it. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So now we're showing off our sciencey skills, but it's, <laughs> it's fucked in that. I mean, it works great, right? It keeps us alive. It does all the things, but in terms of living in our modern world, it hasn't quite caught up yet. And, and the reason for that is that it's number one job is to keep you alive. The mm -hmm. end. And so when you choose lawyering or in my world, trial lawyering, you've chosen a career that is full of risk and change. And, and those are the things that the brain hates. And so now what's happened with your brain is it's trying to keep you alive and it doesn't want you to do anything risky. And it definitely doesn't want you to change anything because change is scary. So you're constantly up against this brain that's trying to prevent you from doing the very things you have to do to be successful in the world or in your career as a trial lawyer, or just even if you're not a trial lawyer, just in the world, right? We live in a world that's full of risk. And, and the, the ones that are successful in our modern world are the ones that take the risks and, and, and go big and play big. And yet your brain is wired to do the exact opposite. And I see that that mm. is probably the biggest issue that trial lawyers have to overcome is because they don't know how to manage and work with, and here's the coolest thing, rewire their brains because it's totally possible to rewire your brain. Okay. Well, tell us how to rewire our brains because, um, you know, I know one of the things that we talk about sometimes to get, I, I actually have a science word here. Like I think it's triune brain theory where you have sort of the primitive amygdala part of your brain. That's the reptile brain that is kind of, you know, uh, in some ways calling the shots sometimes, you know, we have this really good cerebral cortex that can rationalize all kinds of things. But like when we get into a room and somebody starts trying to get us to do something, we go, well, I don't want to do that. That visceral part of us that, that doesn't like change is what's talking at that point. And then the cerebrum and the rest of us is just kind of there to like give us good reasons why we're right, right? But that's exactly um, it. Yeah. Well, that so prefrontal we cortex is that that logical part of the brain, the front part of the brain, the newest part of the brain. And the problem is, is the prefrontal cortex works best when it's rested and fed, right? Like like when things are always good. Now. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know about you, but most lawyers are not normally rested or well-fed or not under stress, right? So immediately when we are under stress and we're hungry and we're tired, the amygdala takes over because now we're in our fight or flight response and it starts calling the shots. And so that's what the problem is. That's our habit brain, right? Because that's the part where we don't have to think that autom- it keeps us alive too. So it's great. It keeps our heart beating and our lungs um, taking in air. But the way to reverse that partly part right just right off the top is to get more rest and feed yourself and manage your stress i mean that's going to help your prefrontal cortex operate well but some of these things that are wired in we have to talk about neural pathways right so a neural pathway the way we can rewire the brain or or the way we know we can do that is, is we know that we have neural pathways where those signals are being sent but we know that new neural pathways can be created all the way to the end of our life. Now, the mm-hmm. bad news with that is that we never get rid of the old neuro, neuro, neuro pathway or the old neural pathways. And so when we are under stress or tired or whatnot, we're going to probably default to those until our newer ones become more hab- habitual. Now, how do you do that? Well, you start thinking differently. You start doing things and recognizing, like you said, oh, I can lose. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to die, right? I can right. go in front of a jury and they can hate my suit and I'll, I'll survive. You train your brain to know that this isn't scary. I mean, it is scary, but it's not going to kill me. And you get more and more willing and able to do those things. And you you kind of bring your brain along, but the big thing in creating new neural neural pathways is it has to be something that's consistently done over and over and over again. So consistently telling yourself, I've got this, I can do this. Consistently showing yourself by doing the thing, consistently losing at the thing and knowing that you're going to be fine, right? So all of those things, it's really about the consistency um, piece of it. Yeah. And like, when you think about like what the military does, you know, when they're training people to be in, you know, terrifying life-threatening situations, they don't do it by saying, here, sit here and read this book about terrifying life-threatening situations. They do it by putting them in simulated situations like that to get this neural, I mean, what they're really doing is getting neural pathways laid down to rewiring their brain for warfare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That experience. And and that is very possible. I think I want to know you don't have like an unlimited amount of time. So I, I want to kind of get to this thing that we have coming out of law school and as lawyers, lots of times where I guess I'd call it over baking or over preparing where we think, cause you just mentioned rest and stuff like that. And we think like, okay, well, I got this big hearing tomorrow. I got a trial starting. What I should do is stay up all night and, and learn everything and be a hundred percent prepared for this. And then I'll, you know, then I'll go from there and be ready to go. And that's, that's the best use of my time. And what I've learned the hard way is that much better for me to not be we'll talk about, I'm going to let you talk about a hundred percent prepared, but better to be like, what, you know, prepared, do it, you know, uh, but rested and having my, you know, my resources available to be able to think on my feet that can only be possible if you're in that good rested state where you're taking care of yourself and then just let things work, you know, let the, let the brain and the body and your voice do what it's designed to do in that situation. So Talk about like, I guess, oh, I think that's very true. Tell me if you agree with that, but tell me also what, can you be a hundred percent prepared for anything? Do you think? Absolutely not. I mean, that's the thing is that y'all are chasing this thing you're never going to get because what you're chasing is not a hundred percent preparation. What you're chasing is a feeling. 
There's mm-hmm. a feeling that you want to feel that you think you're going to get at 100% prepared. But the thing is, you can always prepare. You can keep preparing. You're never done preparing. It can go on forever and ever, right? There's still more to learn. There's still more to practice. You could, there, there, there's no end point. And that's why it's so insidious is that it's like you have this, oh, I, I, and you hear it from big trial lawyers. They're like, well, the reason I won is because I was so damn prepared, right? So you think, <laughs> oh, I just got to prepare. That's what my thing is, is preparation. It's right. not possible to be 100% prepared. So what we teach people in the H2H uh, world is to decide for yourself what that means. Mm-hmm. What what when are you what is it going to take so that you feel you're ready? And you got to really struggle here with your brain because your brain's going to be like nothing. I've got to be up all Never. night and it's like no 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 no. What's right. realistic? Because here's the second thing if we're going to be all sciency and this is what everybody needs to understand is called the gap. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you read any about uh, read about any of the big scientific discoveries and they may have called it a different word, but this is the basic gist. The, mm-hmm. All of the big scientific like light bulb moments happen during the gap. And this is what mm-hmm. I mean. The scientists are in their live or their laboratory and they're doing all their sciencey things and they're in there for like 16 hours and like, oh, my God, I'm so tired. I'm going to go take a walk. They're on their walk. Boom. Drops in. They're like, there it is. Mm-hmm. Right. So you guys are yep. just prepared, prepared, prepared. But when you would just stop, have lunch, go on a walk, then that great strategy you've been looking for that whatever is mm-hmm. going to pop in your brain. We just know because you've rested the brain. It's It has room now. Why is it that if you try to meditate, people come to me all the time. Well, I've tried to meditate and I can't do it. I'm like, well, no shit. That's why they call it a meditation practice. You, right. Nobody can do it. But why right. does all the stuff come up when you try to quiet your brain? Because you've been thinking all this time and finally you're quiet and your brain's like, oh, now I can talk to you. <laughs> now right. you're quiet and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to talk to you even right now. But my best stuff comes up during meditation to the point where I just take a little thing and I write it down and then I go back to meditating because yeah. my brain is finally quiet or at least trying to be quiet. That's my, when all the my, good stuff bubbles up. Isn't it weird? in the subconscious, like- my bet the thing I've discovered in maybe the last five, six years is like the best tool I have for trial preparation or case or thinking about a case is a notebook at my bedside table with this mm-hmm. pen that my wife wants to, you know, blow up with dynamite that has like a little light on it. Cause I'll wake up <laughs> at like two in the morning and I'll be like, Oh, I just thought of something great in this case. Yeah. And I just write that down. And it's like the, your subconscious seems to be working on these things all the time without and when you just kind of let it happen, like a lot, it's, it's bizarre. I don't know if it's one of those things where the universe is just giving you answers and we can get all like new age about it or what, but it's probably just that the brain's really dwelling on these things in the background. And then it comes up with something and it gives it to you. And you're like, Oh, where I think the brain from? is always working in the background. It's just, we sure, never give it an it opportunity to tell us what it's coming up with. Cause we're all, you know, in the conscious and doing all our stuff and the subconscious wants to tell us something, but we don't ever give it a chance. That's why yeah. it will come up during sleep or during rest periods or during walks. And so, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have any scientific, you know, studies on this, but I do know that people in H2H are winning more and working less. Yeah. And that's so like bizarre for them when they come in, I'm like, do less, work less, mm-hmm. prep less. And they're like, because they don't, it's like the crutch, right? But then when they start to do it, they're like, oh my God, I'm more rested. I'm more focused. I mean, you are the person who has to perform at mm-hmm. trial or in front of a judge. And you have to be your number one priority. That's and, the number one thing. 
Yeah. And you're the person that has to have a life outside of all of that too. That has Absolutely. To be and so because jurors you know, have lives and you yeah. need to be able to connect with them. You right. can't be a robot. And, you know, it would kind of suck if I love doing this, but if we did it all the time, you know, there's got to be some other stuff we do too. And uh, that's, Absolutely. You know, I think our books have that in common and that I really wanted to give people like, here's how you can do the same things, but maybe have more of your own time to do other things that you want to do too. And, and guess what? Those other things will make you probably better at the first thing. So, um, well, let's do this. I, we've got just a few minutes left. I know. Um, let's think about like, what are, since we love rule of threes, what are three things that we would tell or that you would tell the students to kind of leave them with, or, you know, baby lawyers, young lawyers, um, and see if we can come up with those together. Maybe too. I can, I got, I got some too, but what are your three? Well, off the top of my head, because I didn't prepare this, <laughs> so you're just asking me right now. Um, the first one right. is learn how to manage your brain. If you do that, you will be more successful than you will ever know. And so that could be, you know, a variety of things of reading about it or doing all things. But for me, the number one thing, and I have podcasts on this, is you need a coach. I mean, I will never not have a coach. A coach helps me continually see my patterns and and create new neural pathways. And so coaching is so, so important to manage your brain. If you do not know how to manage your brain, you're going to have a very unhappy life. Yes, but particularly a career. So that'd be my number one thing, learn how to manage your brain. However, that ends up being for you. Number two is to always trust your own voice. Always. When something is saying this is, you know, the wrong thing, or, you know, like somebody's telling you to do something, you're like, that doesn't feel right to me. Follow your voice always. I mean, that that's just never going to, to leave you wrong. And the third thing, and, and kind of c- c- before I go to three is to have mm-hmm. your own back, right? Mm-hmm. Always just, you, you just have your own back, right? Cause yeah. you're the number one person you got to keep in. The number three is to live a fulfilling life. Listen, I went through cancer, two cancers, kick those son of bitches in the face, but yeah. I mean, I know now that like life is precious and we all know that. And then you get a cancer diagnosis, then you really know it. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not fucking around and going, well, when I, 10 years from now, then I'm going to do all the things I enjoy. Do them now, do them in law school, do them when you're a baby lawyer, do them now because nothing is guaranteed. So constantly, and a coaching can help there too, be Mm -hmm. looking and chasing your fulfillment because that this, the way we live our days is the way we live our life. Yeah. That would be my three things that I can't top that. I'm not even going to try to add to that. The one thing I would say overarching all that is like, if you can try to chill out a little bit, it's going to make your life better. We we put a lot of extra things on ourselves that not only make life less pleasant, but they make our jobs harder too. And so Absolutely. getting rid of those tendencies and a coach is super helpful for that because they're objective. They can see us doing And I know hard. lots of brand new coaches that are looking for clients and we'll take you at $10 a session. So if you guys want a coach, if you're serious about that, just email me at sorry at sorrydlm.com. Those you law students, even though some trial lawyers, if you're like, you know, I'm really on a, on a limited budget. I've got some new coaches, not here in H2H, but in my CTI community, the, the, the yeah. um, coaching that I'm certified in that would love to take you. That is going to help you even with a new coach. It's going to be super helpful. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great advice. And um, once again, I owe you a big thanks because you have uh, talked to my class and knocked it out of the park. 
And, uh, you know, as I've told you before, you've done a lot for me personally, too, just in, in making oh. this job a lot more that I already liked, like way more fun. So thank you oh, for that. I'm too. so glad. I'm so glad. So we'll bring you back for um, a discussion on the lean law firm. If people cool. are like, how do you get on my podcast? I don't know. Like, just be interesting and be my friend. And then I invite you. Be annoying. Well. Email Christy Foster a lot. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. I hope that's that's helpful to your students and I hope that's helpful to our listeners. We'll talk next week. Thanks everybody. While you wait for next week's episode, how would you like instant access to exclusive trial skills training on my funnel method for voir dire? Grab a pen and paper so you can jot down the website address for a brand new 16 minute video that will help you win more cases. The free training is called Let the Jury Solve Your Problems in Three Easy Steps and I'm even gonna send you a workbook to go with it. Now, are you ready for the address? Visit from hostage forward slash training. You'll see me there, enjoy.